Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And on today's show, I have the creator of an amazing documentary. It's 3100 Run and Become. So this is Sanjay Rawal. Sanjay, uh, not only is an experienced runner, as you'll hear in this episode, but he also created just an absolutely amazing documentary that's coming out all across the country the end of this summer and into this fall. They have screenings all over the place, and he was nice enough to uh, to send me the um, basically to email me the movie ahead of time. And my goodness. Um, is it really good? It's definitely a rewatchable. That's for sure. You're going to want to watch this more than once. And hopefully it's going to come to streaming services after it plays in theaters. Cause you're going to want to watch this. If you're ever doubting yourself, if you ever think you've reached your capacity, um, you're going to watch this and say, Oh no, Oh no, 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 no. I am capable of so much more. So we're going to dive in to all aspects of this documentary, but the title itself, 3100, Run and Become, it chronicles a couple of individuals who ran the, self-trans- the Self-Transcendence 3100, which is in Queens. It's a half-mile city block that they run so many times that they actually cover 3100 miles. So it's a half-mile loop. That means they have to run it 6,200 times. They run it on average 60 miles a day. For 52 days. My goodness. It is really something to behold. Um, Not only do they cover the race itself, but they chronicle two individuals throughout the race, but they also connect them and their mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual journeys to people who have, you know, kind of reached transcendence through running in other cultures and in other time periods throughout the world. And it's fascinating on so many levels. I can't wait for you to watch this documentary. That's for sure. But I think you're going to get a pretty good grasp of what it's all about. Not only that, but what Sanjay is all about and what he tried to capture in this movie. And we touch on, we don't, this isn't just a, you know, hey, tell me about the movie podcast. This is kind of diving deep into some themes, um, you know, I know that you probably will not have seen this movie before listening to this podcast, so we're not going to get too much in-depth into the movie. We're just going to touch on a lot of themes that are not only prevalent in the film, but something or things that I'm sure you will have thought of um, at least once, probably more than once during your running life. So enough about my explaining what this episode is going to be about. Let's just dive right into it with Sanjay Rawal. Hello, Sanjay, and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. Matt, thank you very much for having me. I am super excited. That makes two of us. I'll tell you, I, you, you were kind enough to send me the trailer for, um, not the trailer, I'm sorry, anyone could see the trailer. You sent me a sneak preview of 3100 Run and Become, and I'll tell you what, you and your team did a fantastic job. I absolutely loved the movie. That means the world to me, Matt. Thank you. Thank you very much. Now, I said movie, but I should say documentary, right? Yeah. You know, they're, they're, they're all the same. Just a documentary movie. It's, a, it's real life, which I think makes it even more wild that it's true. This is the case with all these crazy runner stories. I swear to God. It's like you could, if you made it fictional, it would, almost, it would be harder to believe in a way. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like if you made it fictional, someone would be like, all right, that's impossible. That would never happen. There's no way we could green light something so strange. Right. But then when you see it in person, that like, it almost makes it even more captivating that it's so just on a higher plane. And I say that, you know, literally and metaphorically. I, I, I totally hear you. As, as you know, the, the film is based on the world's longest running race. And I'm sure... 95% of the people that are listening, if you ask them to guess what that mileage would be, they'd probably underestimate it by a lot. Yeah, as someone who's typical of 5K, 10K runner, I know I would absolutely not guess 3,100 miles would be the longest. 3,100 miles is the distance one would take running the back roads between New York and San Francisco 
or for those in Europe, if you started in London, somehow ran through the channel and ended up in Damascus, that's 3,100 miles. It's a long way. It's like Seattle to Miami. Putting it that way, that's so interesting because I like I had a, a pretty good idea of what thirty one hundred miles meant, and when you put it that way, it's even it's even more staggering. All right, so before we kind of like we're talking kind of obliquely about it. All right, so for someone who doesn't know anything about the self transcendence thirty one hundred, what's for you is kind of like kind of the two minute spiel about what that race is. In nineteen ninety seven, one of the nucleuses of the New York City running boom in the 70s, Sri Chinmoy, decided to, to start the world's longest running race. So in 1997, the first edition of the 3,100-mile race was born. It's been happening every summer ever since. And the crazy thing is that it takes place, it's staged around a half-mile sidewalk loop right in the middle of Queens, New York City. It's held in the summer, and to complete 3,100 miles in the 52-day window, runners have to average around 60 miles per day. Whew. Now that, there's a lot, there's a lot to unpack there. First of all, 30, 60, 60 miles a day in the summer in Queens is, for one day, that is a huge huge undertaking and you know this as well as anybody because this race is actually run very close to where you it's the 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 race is held at thomas edison high school it's a pretty pedestrian sounding name and it's about a kilometer away from where i've lived in Queens since weirdly enough since january of 1997 so every single summer that i've lived in new york city there's been an an edition of this race And, and and the first question people ask is like oh my god why is it held around a half mile loop? Well, if you can imagine, you know, I'll, I'll take you down I-80 from San Francisco. It's like if you're running from San Francisco to New York, you'd cross the Sierra Mountains. You'd cross the Wasatch Mountains in Utah. You'd cross the Rockies in Colorado. And there have been people who've done that transcontinental race. And one guy in particular mentioned that from Denver to Ohio for those 700 miles, he had a headwind. At the same time, it's really difficult to get your aid, to go to the bathroom on the side of a highway. And when you fa- want to fall asleep at night, you sometimes have to drive 40 miles to the nearest hotel, only to drive back 40 miles to get to the spot where you, you left off. So the half-mile loop takes away all the logistics. There's no traffic other than people. There's no traffic lights or stop signs or cars on the course. And people have the space within themselves just to enter into what people now call flow. That's a good point, especially when you consider that a lot of these transcontinental undertakings, it's just one person running. Those usually aren't a race. You know, it's one person at a time, whether that's a single person doing the entire endeavor or if it's a relay race of some kind. Um, you, you see that occasionally where someone will run like, you know, two or three hundred miles and pass off to the next person, so on and so forth. So for the people who are organizing it, I feel like that's yeoman's work, too. You're watching these people. They're just like counting laps as people go. I mean, even even for the race organizers, this is one heck of an undertaking. Nobody wants to, to, to have the... the the malfunction of a chip. We're also used to running 5Ks and 10Ks where the timing is all done by a computer. Um, But here the timing is done by hand because runners can't afford not to be counted every single lap. There was one woman who finished, the race actually ended three days ago, and there was one woman who finished with about 45 minutes to spare. So if if she'd done about one and... yeah, what was if, that? One if, and a half if, laps? if she had one and a half laps less per day, she wouldn't have finished. And, and so like each lap is critical and it could mean at the end the, the, the reality of finishing the race or missing it by a hair. Now you've lived there for, you know, for such a, you know, it's, it's almost like the, 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 how this race has kind of accompanied your entire time in Queens. So how many times have you I, 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 I have I've only run it in my nightmares. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great way of putting it. 
So for you, it wouldn't be the self-transcendence 3100. It'd be the self-flagellation 3100. That, that, that pretty much. But that, that, that said, it's like in making this movie where we follow the, the journey of a Finnish paper boy, Ashbrihan Alto, as well as a, an Austrian female cellist, Shamita Achenbach-Koenig, um, as they attempt to run this race, it was very, very clear that like these people are normal people. You know, they, they, they might have some intensity in their own, like, way of approaching life. But, you know, you, you wouldn't imagine the most cuckoo mental patient being able to run 3,100 miles. So as, as bonkers as the idea and the notion might be, at, at, at its most fundamental level, runners have to be getting more satisfaction than they experience pain. So that said, like, the joy they feel has to counteract the pain that anybody could imagine running those miles in the heat around a sidewalk. And that kind of joy can't be like based on reaching a distance. It can't be based on reaching five miles or 10 miles. It's not about breaking the race down into increments. It's about separating your mind from the distance entirely. It's about finding a place within yourself where you're at the most elemental stage of what it means to be a human. And, and as you know, Matt, in this film, to make that really apparent and visual, we, we interweave the stories of three really epic runners, a Navajo, Navajo ultramarathoner, uh, a Kalahari Bushman hunter who hunts by foot, and someone that's part of a group in Japan affectionately known as the Marathon Monks who run 25,000 miles um, over a seven or eight year period. And that's the Marathon Monks of Mount Hiei, correct, correctly? Per, correct? Great pronunciation. Okay. Well, I, th- I feel like I've heard about them the same way I've heard about uh, the runners of the Self-Transcendence 3100, is that they're mentioned kind of obliquely in a lot of um, either documentaries or books or articles occasionally. Like, I never really, I've never really dove into... The marathon monks, just like I never had dove into the self transcendence thirty one hundred until you know I, I saw your documentary, but it's kind of like been in the running consciousness. That, that, that's correct, right? and I, I think the, the 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 two things that the marathon monks and the thirty one hundred mile race um, folks have in common is that they don't tweet. You know, the, these are these are two of the most <laughs> epic quests, running quests in the world. But unlike every other ultra. They're not on Instagram. They're not on Twitter. They're not on Facebook. So it's nearly impossible to glean the information. But once you see it, whether you see it live or whether you see it in in a film like ours, I I, I would say it starts to make a lot more sense. Would that be would that be accurate? Yeah, absolutely. It's not that I would say that not that it makes sense per se, but then you just get a, a deeper understanding of not only the motivations that certain people have, and obviously everyone has their own personal motivations, uh, but you see some of the motivations uh, of the people who are in the film. But in addition to that, do you see, and I think this is much more captivating, you see the struggle during the, the race, right? Especially for something that is the purpose of it is self-exploration and peace and spirituality and connection to the earth and, you know, god and you know kind of like mother earth and just each other so you kind of juxtapose that that beauty with the suffering that this endeavor entails which you know it, i think is can be a crossroads for a lot of people so before we dive into that i just want to know because you've kind of seen these people at arm's length for a while what were your, your preconceived notions of the 3100 runners um, prior to starting you know, well, one of the first things that I felt like I had to do um, before starting this film was experience a multi-day race. Now, we, we know there's 5Ks, 10Ks, half marathons, marathons. Then there's ultras, like 50 milers or 100 milers. Um, the, the elite finish those well b- below 24 hours. And so there's a whole class of races measured by the, the length of time you get to run. So there's 24, 48, 72-hour races, and there's six-day races. And so I felt like I needed to experience a six-day race to really understand what it might feel like to run for 52 days. And I have to say, the first five days were torture 
I, you know, I, I got injured and I stayed out on this course, which was a, a standard one mile loop. There were, you know, 70 year old men and women that were in the race and they were trucking along. So I, I felt like I couldn't quit. Um, but weirdly enough, at the end of the fifth day, my pulled hamstring was healed. Now it's tangential, but there's no doctor would tell you to go and like slow jog for four days to heal your hamstring, but that's what happened. Um, and that sixth day was an I, I'm saying this without without any hyperbole. It was an it was an uninterrupted 21, 22 hours of the purest joy I have felt in my life, and that's when I realized like this is what scientists call flow, and most runners try to experience that once in a blue moon, but there is a natural state that occurs within us. Once we reach a certain distance or a certain time running where the mind either surrenders or shuts off or gives up, where we just enter into the, the most elemental physical and spiritual part of our being. And it was an incredible experience. And that's when I knew exactly what the 3,100 mile runners experienced. Now, that's interesting, right? Because you talk about it as flow. And I think the marathon monks and the self-transcendence runners would probably put more of a spiritual bent on it. So did you have your own personal relationships with spirituality? Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I'd, I'd meditated and since, you know, pretty, pretty, you know, devotedly since I was in my late teens um, and really consider that as like, like the, the bedrock of my own kind of spiritual outlook. And my last 21 hours of that race were as religious or spiritual of, a, of an experience as I've ever had in my life. And I, I've, I've had the chance to travel the world and meditate with, with some very powerful people and spend time with some really, really gloriously loving people um, that were on a much higher spiritual plane than I could ever imagine. But in that last 24 hours or so, I was my best self. I was at the core of, of the person I want to be. Um, and it's, it's something that, that really helped me push the, the goalposts out in my own life where I see what I can feel like at every single moment. And strangely enough, it wasn't a 24 hour meditation. Not that I do that, but it wasn't a 24 hour like Buddha like meditation that got me there. It was the meditative state that came out of running after that four or five days of just suffering and like mental resistance had surrendered. I, that's a great word for it, the surrender aspect of it. I think that that is a, that is key because the question that I was thinking about as you were talking was how much, like basically what led to this enlightenment period, right? So call it, so, so basically that, that 20 hours of flow or enlightenment or spiritual connection, whichever way you want to describe it. Do you think that it was the suffering, the meditative state, the surrendering, a shift in mindset, you know, what do you think were the fact the factor or factors that led to that? If you could kind of encapsulate, you know, maybe it's like you have a little pie chart, right? Like what, how much would you apportion to each? To so each of those? When, when we began filming one of our main characters in the 3,100 mile film, Sean Martin, who is a Navajo ultra marathoner, I understood how and why my experience happened. Sean wasn't running with his GPS watch turned on. He wasn't running for time. He wasn't running for distance. The Navajo, like a lot of Native Americans, begin their day or are supposed to begin their day with a run. The Navajo in particular start their morning runs towards the east, towards the sunrise. And Sean's attitude, the moment he stepped out of the door, was my attitude after the fifth day of that race. Sean steps out of his door understanding that his run is going to help him make a, is going to help him become a better person. And during his run, he could very well have a spiritual experience. And so culturally, metaphysically, experientially, that's why he was running. It wasn't for fitness. It wasn't to lose weight. It wasn't to do well in a race a month or two months down. It wasn't to, to hit a certain mileage to check off. It wasn't to like share on Facebook. It was because he understood that at its core, running was a spiritual activity. Um, you could ascribe other things to it, but it's like spirituality was the, is the reason why he was running. And that's what I realized happened to me. 
after five days, the, the resistance wore down and the ultimate result was I was open to running as a transformative experience. And that was why I was running. I'd, 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 I'd basically gotten over the fact that I wasn't going to do a good time. I'd gotten through the frustration of being injured. And I just opened myself up to having an experience and, and having an experience of prayer. In the film, Sean says, running is a prayer. We use our feet to pray to Mother Earth. You know, we breathe in Father Sky. Running is a celebration of life. And running is a teacher. Running helps us get through the hardships and helps us get through any troubles that we might be facing. And ultimately, running makes us the person that we want to be. That's the basis of running for the Navajo and for Native Americans in general. That's not necessarily the, the, the basis for running philosophy for the rest of us. No, but that's a great, that's, thank you for sharing that because it also, I feel like that is a mindset that is prevalent in a lot of different cultures. Like even if you just go to, you know, popular Christian culture, you know, the people who say like, you know, when you worship God, you know, you can worship him in any way. That that's not just a Sunday morning ritual in a church. You can devote any activity to God. And if you do that, then that's a form of worship. And I feel like that's just another way of saying what you just said about these other cultures, that there's, so, there's, a, there's a commonality there, that whatever you're doing, if you put your mind, your body and your soul to it and, and kind of put it up to a higher plane of existence, and that's what you're doing it for, that in and of itself, that act is, you know, a form of connecting to that that universal being, however you happen you're, to You're absolutely it. correct. And, 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 and let, me, let me maybe take it, you know, a half step further. Um, we, in, in, in the movie 3100 Run and Become, we also spent time with the Kalahari Bushmen. Um, they're, they're not the oldest tribe to have ever existed, but they've been around for 125,000 years. And evolutionary biologists say that every single person on Earth has a strain of DNA that has come only from the Kalahari Bushmen. So in essence, you know, we share a deep physiological link to that tribe, which is still in existence. And they've been hunting by foot, chasing down animals for 125,000 years. Our only advantage on the savanna um, back in early humanity was the fact that when we ran with two feet and not four feet, our gait was decoupled from our breath. Like if you think about a horse or a, a dog, in their extension, their, their, their lungs are stretched, their lungs fill up with air. When they contract their leg muscles and, and the four legs kind of come together, that's when their lungs are forced to expel air. So they can go really, really fast and they can run anaerobically, but they can't run aerobically like we can. So imagine on the Great Savannah where we could carry water in, a, in, a, in an animal skin, we would slowly scare a, a piece of prey or an animal of prey um, away from watering holes. And we would be sipping water and we would slowly catch up to them. We'd chase them, scare them, slowly track them and catch up to them. And after two days, we were hydrated. They were dehydrated. And we could get within the five, six feet necessary and kill them. Um, and so I, I, I posed this question you know, to our Bushman characters. I said, running and cosmology and survival go hand in hand. The, the Bushmen, for example, they pray when they run. They pray to their ancestors for the power to catch the animal. They, they pray to the, their, their ancestors and to the holy people for the power to sustain a run for two days. I said, what came first? Like, did you guys start running for survival and then pray? Um, was, was there an idea of like praying to the holy people and then there was a command of running? And they said, no, it's like, evolutionarily, we were born to run. And our first connection to nature, to the sense of higher energies, came through the physical motion of moving on two feet and running. And so running and imbibing energy, they went hand in hand. And the, 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 the conclusion is that running is the fundamental, fundamentally first way that 
and you could say dance too, but like, mo- mo- like extended aerobic movement through your feet was the first way ancient man and ancient woman experienced the higher energies of, of nature um, and the kind of godlike energies of nature. And so in conclusion, I, I would say that like the activity of pray- prayerful running is much more fundamental to the core spiritual experience of humans as beings, as hu- of humans as creatures than almost any other physical Non, non-exclusively contemplative activity. That's interesting. So what is your take then? And maybe you've posed this question during, during some of your talks with these uh, you know, varied constituency groups. What's your take on people or even yourself about running with headphones? So the, 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 this is the, the interesting thing. Like before the, I, I began this film project, I mean, I, I, wouldn't, I, I wouldn't run without headphones. I'd, I'd always, I always had music on. But it became very clear to me from Navajo coaches and from Hopi runners that like the fundamental song that connects us to the higher powers and higher energies physically, of course, there's meditation and there's contemplative prayer. But if we want to connect our body through bliss to those higher forces, it's through our breath. And it's like the breath is a song and our whole being has to be focused on our breath. Music takes us, takes us away from that. That said, you know, when we're trying to really transcend ourselves and really push ourselves in a workout, if we look at music as, a me- as, as medicine, you know, either singing a song in our head or listening to it via headphones, I, I know from experience that's useful too. But fundamentally, I don't, I don't train with music anymore. Yeah, I mean, you've made a pretty, not that this was the point, but you've definitely made a pretty persuasive argument to that extent. I mean, also, like you just mentioned, there definitely is probably a time and a place for it, especially I think one of the, the iconic books of this genre is How Bad Do You Want It by Matt Fitzgerald. And one of the chapters he even discusses the power of, uh, of music in terms of its, uh, its ability to, pardon the word choice here, amplify your, your abilities. Um, you know, I think it's one of the chapters and it's, it's backed by science, but you, you also bring up a great point here, especially maybe even on an easy run where you have that contemplative time where you're not sitting here like, okay, I need to get ready for my next interval, or you're trying to figure out the math on your next 800 meter interval and things like that. You know, when you're just going out there for an hour and you can just, you know, go on autopilot for a little bit. Uh, I, you can, I can definitely see how that would be totally. Possible. And, and I, like if, if your goal for a particular workout is really to push your body to the, its absolute limit, like an interval workout or a strong tempo run, um, where you're doing it strictly for physical purposes and for the joy you'd get when you hit a particular result. Yeah. Music's indispensable, but if you want the regular and pure spiritual experience of running, no music, but then again, it's like you look at like Olympians like Elliot Kipchoge and these people that are running, you know, sub 203 marathons. They don't run with music in those races. Like, no, nope, absolutely and, right. And, absolutely and right. so it's like, I'm not saying music is a crutch because I'm not making a kind of like absolutist point like that. But I, I, at least for myself, I, it, it, it took kind of seeing the possibilities of the spirituality of running to understand that I didn't necessarily need music the way I thought I would. Now, In the trailer for this, and actually you did a Kickstarter campaign as well. I think that was, a, that was another place where people saw the trailer uh, for your, for your documentary. You talk about um, in the, I think in the trailer itself, but also the description underneath that you talk about the role of uh, the book born to run by Chris McDougall, not only on, popular culture how they talked about how they basically embraced some of the themes that you talk about in your documentary whether that's the spirituality the enlightenment the kind of getting to a higher plane through suffering and through you know through meditation was that how you came to it as well through through that through you know that the, book? the the book was in, it was incredibly inspiring you know obviously kind of opened up um a level of i guess connection to, to something ancient within ourselves and understanding that like we were born to run. Um, but I, I, I honestly, I, I, I thought that there was a part of the book missing. And, that, and that's one of the reasons why, you know, I wanted to make this film. 
um, with the Taharamara Indians, for example, uh, the, the, the book or may, maybe the marketers um, really stressed the kind of like exoticness of this like ancient tribe that like lives in a canyon. They must have superhuman DNA and like they just eat chia seeds and somehow it propels them to like incredible times. <laughs> but that's not true. They just they they care about running more than you and I do. They, they know how to channel their own internal energies and their own spirituality and generate power through running better than you and I do. And that's not DNA. That's because of the cultural and spiritual association that running has in their lives. Um, and I, I, I had, I'd seen that with, with people that, that weren't, you know, natives. I, I'd seen that with like a certain set of ultramarathoners that really had deeply spiritual experiences and had them on the same level, that same human plane as these kind of exotic or exotified cultures. Exotified. So, so you're not saying it's not the ground corn and chia seeds? That they... I, I'm sure it helps, but it's like I, I know some of those <laughs> runners and I know some of the some Native American runners, you know, who really chafed at the idea that it was their genetics. You know, they work harder. You know, they, they work harder. They like it more. They, they're running for a totally different reason. Um, and, and, you know, Chris McDougall touched on all of those things. Like when he talked about the Taramara, you know, Indians who first were taken to Leadville, who were saying like, why do we run for competition? It's like, I'm not running to like win money. And they, they end up beating everybody, but it's like, that's not why they're running. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that, that's a great point. And I think that part of that, I think the aspects that you mentioned right there, like the, the true aspects of those cultures are in the book, but there's also, like you mentioned before, the promotional elements of it also lend itself to the hyperbole of like, you know, the, the superhuman other and, type versus just someone who like, Hey, you know, like they care about it. And also they were raised in a culture that stressed it very early on, which no matter what your endeavor is, obviously will allow you to kind of, you know, your propensity of reaching a higher level is, is uh, I'd say is, is um, you know, more likely to happen if you're raising a culture that, you know, really puts a priority on a Totally. And, and they run to understand the relationship with the divine. Right. So, so you have a deeper level motivation. Much, much deeper level. But at the same time, it's like that motivation is, is, not, their soul, is not their soul monopoly. You know, it's, it's a motivation that the rest of us can have just by understanding that running is at the core of like our body's attempts to become more spiritual. So let me ask you a question. So Sri Chinmoy was the founder of the Self-Transcendence 3100. And he was an iconic person in a lot of different ways, um, not just in the running community, but in just, you know, in, in human rights and in a peaceful nature and, and, and all of those things. It really was uh, an extraordinary person. Now, you worked in human rights and international development before you got into filmmaking. How aware of... Uh, of him were you when you were in those uh in, in that know, field he lived in my neighborhood and so i i actually can say that I, I i knew him um you know he lived in the neighborhood of jamaica hills where this race was founded and so i i kind of got to like cross paths with him and, and kind of spend some time with him um in very formative years of my life um and so a, a lot of this happened happened by chance you know i'd heard about sri chinmoy when i was a student in california and I came out to New York City to go to graduate school. And, you know, the, peop the only people that I knew in New York were students of his that I'd known from California. And so I kind of just ended up in his neighborhood and, you know, used that opportunity to study his philosophy as I kind of broadened my own career and, you know, bounced around the world working on different human rights projects. So that I feel like that begs the question of how much when you talk about human rights, how much of it is one's ability to kind of like make the world around them versus their ability to demand justice of others? 
or from other you know that, that that's an interesting point because the our, our, our movie 3100 isn't necessarily a social issue film but as you saw there were two narratives in particular in our navajo narrative our main character is retracing the footsteps that his father as a six-year-old took in escaping government boarding school in arizona and as a six-year-old his dad had to travel more than 110 miles by foot to escape and reach his home site the Kalahari Bushmen have hunted since time immemorial, but it's only been in the last 20 years that the Black Butts won in government decided to remove them from their land and resettle them in a tiny little village devoid of resources um, in order to, to kind of capture the copper and other mineral wealth that was beneath the Kalahari Desert. And the Botswanans in our film are running to hunt perhaps for the last time in their existence, you know, as, as, as indigenous on earth. And in, in, in that sense, it's like I, my human rights background really informed how we approach those stories. Um, you know, in, in those cases, in the past, people were running towards something. They were running to hunt something. In a case of our, of our Navajo character, he was running, you know, cap- he was, following his father's footsteps and running away from something and using running as a way to heal his historical trauma. Um, so to, to get back to your question, you know, human rights, I, I, I think it, 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 it varies situation by situation. Fundamentally, it's about dignity. It's about understanding one's place in the world. And ultimately, you know, when a, a certain fundamentals are, are, are covered, like water, security, food, Human rights is the process which men and women explore who they are and what their connection is either to other human beings or to creation or to the divine. Wow, well said. I can see why you were uh, very good at you know, expressing these, these ideals. That's for sure. So after all of the filming that you did, after all of the editing, putting this film together, what did you what were your main takeaways um that have kind of informed the way that you live your life now both just on an everyday basis and a yeah I, I i this is why i love your podcast you know like this this is such an amateur viewpoint in terms of like amateur runners that we are um you know i i i, I ran competitively in high school i did well in high school but the competition burned me out. You know, we, we were traveling around running like national level relays and meets. And I never knew that running could be anything other than about winning. And, you know, if running is just about winning and you're second place, it's hard to get joy. And it took this movie I'm, I'm 43 now, and I, I stopped running competitively in my late teens, early 20s, and then kind of just like bumbled along and didn't really run with any purpose, didn't really know why to run. But it's really been in the process of developing the ideas for this film, aka running that six-day race in 2015, um, and then you know meeting these exceptional spiritual forces these, who happen to be runners – that I finally realized how much fun running can be and that I could totally decouple the idea of measuring myself against either my past times or anybody else's times and measure myself according to my receptivity. Like, did I run the best race I could? Did I have the best experience I could? Whether it was like absorbing my surroundings um, or whether it was like, trying to fight with my own sense of limitation and achieving something physically that I thought was impossible? Or was it something that I've really cherished as a day-to-day activity where I realized that running will literally make me a better person? And that's why I'm doing it. And, and I, that I, I can say like my, my attitude towards running has been transformed. And that's why we made the movie. Like you, you saw it, Matt. Like there's no talking heads. There's no experts. There's no doctors. We try to go immersively into the stories of the 3,100-mile runners, a Navajo runner, a Kalahari Bushman, a Japanese marathon monk, in order to allow people in the audience to try to feel these different approaches to running and hopefully resonate with one of them and understand 
that they themselves can use running to become the best person they want to be. Man, you are really good at this. You should be the host of the Brantling Runner podcast. You're expressing these ideas so well. Um, that was great. So that, I think, lends itself to another question. Because when you talk about the Marathon Monks of Mount Hie, and you talk about the Self-Transcendence 3100, you're talking about two endeavors that work towards two different goals. You have the self-exploration part about finding who you are and how you relate to the world and to a higher power. And you have the other part where you're trying to achieve a physical goal, right? As opposed to, say, the Kalahari Bushman or the Tarahumara, who maybe view it a little bit more as on the spiritual side. But if you're trying to get, trying to get your food, then obviously that has its own goal in and of itself. But when you're trying to kind of figure out two different goals at the same time, how do you think you prioritize that? Is there one over you know, the other? This is interesting because there, there was a, a, a runner who ran this summer's edition of the 3100, which, which we didn't film. An Israeli semi-pro runner named Kobe Oren. Kobe was running the 3100 for the first time. And he set Israel's national thousand mile record as a split in running this race. And he was really pushing. He was really racing towards the beginning. At about day 35, he gave an interview to a, a, a local journalist where he said that he finally understood that although the, the 3,100 miles is the goal, the race wasn't about a journey of going from mile zero to mile 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, 3,100. He said that he finally understood that the race was a pilgrimage that the race was a ritual and it was about going from moment to moment and being the best person you could be within those moments. And with that sensibility, you're carried much more powerfully towards that ultimate goal. The, the Japanese monks, and first of all, your Japanese pronunciation is spot on. Like the monks of Mount Hiai, they have to do a thousand days of running um, broken up into hundred day cycles. So you've got 10 hundred day cycles each cycle has a set mileage, which could be anywhere from 11 miles to 56 miles. Again, 56 miles for a, every day for the last 100 days. And without giving anything away, like the, the punishment for not completing a day's mileage is obviously, as you saw, it's pretty darn severe. Um, so the question is, like, do you constantly think of failure? Do you constantly think of the mileage, which helps you at the same time, like, understand that you could fail the the monk said there isn't a thought even about the mileage it's like the thought is about going from prayer point to prayer point and they might stop 200 times in that 56 miles to say very specific incantations or mantras or prayers and so they're only thinking about the prayers they're saying and the prayer that they're going to have to say when they hit the next little waypoint and they string those together and once they've strung them all together, their day is done. Their mileage is done. And so that gave me a whole different frame of mind. Like, have, have you ever thought of it this way, Matt? Running as ritual? I, I hadn't. No, I think the closest I've come to it is running as a habit. But never as a ritual. Yeah, me, me too. It's like I'm, I'm still struggling with running as a habit. But I, I think like the idea of looking at it as like, I'm going to like enjoy this, like whether instead of mile by mile, I'm going to enjoy this like hundred meters by hundred meters. I'm, I'm going to break that my run down into moments and try to just run for fun. Yeah. Hearing about these other cultures and how they, and how they pursue it really is so interesting, not cultures, but these, you know, these, these select groups of people who are doing things and how they approach it and it, part of me wonders going through these wild endeavors is you do you have to hit um you know extreme suffering or um some you know i guess some some parallel state in order to be at the spot where you're ready to surrender like, do you think that's part of it? Like, you have to be broken down in order to surrender in a way that allows for that enlightenment to you know, take that's hold? that's a great question, because I thought that was true. 
Um, but when I spent time with, with Ashbrihan Al Alto, who's our main character in the film, who is trying to do the 3,100 mile race for the, a record 14th time, and he completed it all 13 times previously, he told me that he doesn't even train for mileage. What he tries to do in a day is to do as many different types of activities as possible. And he said that that type of training of bouncing from activity to activity keeps his mind really, really nimble. He said that at every point in the race, there's an obstacle that can overwhelm your mind, whether it's a blister, whether it's like a rash, whether it's indigestion. But if your mind is really, really nimble, you can deflect you can like take care of that pro that that problem and you can ultimately understand that it's a much more minor problem than your mind wants it to be so he's he skirts the idea or the notion of suffering entirely it's like yeah he might have blisters yeah his, his feet might look like like heck yeah, they might look terrible um by the end of the race but those aren't actually problems and those aren't actually suffering he feels that once you give in to suffering, it's like you're not going to have the experience of bliss, that you have to find a way to, to, to either totally avoid it, to deal with it as it happens and minimize it and make it tiny and insignificant, um, or you, know, you, you end up getting stuck on it. Interesting. Oh, I would have never put it that way, but that, that, I mean, and, and better than better I than do I. too. Like that, that, sure. that blew me away because <laughs> when we spent time with him in Finland, you know, he's, he's, he's a paper boy. He's like delivering newspapers house by house. And, and in Finland, they do it at night. So he's like going from apartment to apartment, up and down stairs, building to building. When he comes home, he sleeps for five or six hours. And then the rest of the day is like, you know, fixing up his house, it's going to the gym, it's going for a run, it's going for a bike, it's going for a swim, it's going rock climbing, it's going for dinner, it's going to meditation. He just packs his day with as many different things as possible because that keeps his mind constantly like, like perky. And I love the fact that, and I'm not giving anything away here, that he like was, he was even, even like was not even sure if he was going to do the race that you filmed him for which is so funny to be like i'm not really training for it but maybe i'll do it it's like that's what i would say about a 5k i wouldn't say it about a 3100 i mean mile that, race. that's the interesting thing about this race where it's like you would think that the longer the race is the more training you have to do physically but the people that have done the race multiple times um of course you know they they know that they can handle a certain amount of mileage per day but they realize that a lot of the preparation is conquering your fear and getting to the starting line. And that if you do take it as a ritual, the human body has a lot of capacity. I mean, from the negative side, people say it takes a lot to kill a human being. Um, but like when you're pushing yourself, if you're not like past the point of no return and you're constantly aware of like what, what level of pain you're experiencing, if it's serious or whether it's, it's it's it can be minimized you know you can do 60 65 70 miles a day on sidewalk for 45 50 days like i've been seeing runners do that for the last now 22 years um, it still frightens me like if you can imagine living a mile away like they're out on the course at 6 a.m they have to be there at 6 a.m and the course closes at midnight and if i wake up at 6 10 they're already out there running you know, some days this summer, it's been so hot and humid at like three or four o'clock that I've wanted to just sit in my car with the AC on. And then I realized like they're out there like walking or shuffling or jogging. It's really, really humbling. And I would recommend to anybody next summer if they're on the East Coast or in New York City to look up on Google Maps, Thomas Edison Vocational School um, or go to 3100 dot ws and you know see when the, the race dates are um next summer go out and visit the runners are all cheerful they're all happy they're all talkative they're all joyful and they've got this kind of exuberance that i i kid you not i mean it's like it's more than infectious it's like deeply deeply moving well there you go and that's exactly why everyone who's listening to this should see this documentary you did a great job 
What are the dates and, and ways that people can So people can, can go to our film? website, which is 3100film.com. That's 3100film.com. We're opening in Santa Fe and Albuquerque in New Mexico um, from the middle of August until the end of August. Um, from Labor Day weekend through the first couple of weeks of September, we're in Phoenix and Flagstaff. Then around September 7th onwards, we open in Seattle and Portland and Eugene, um, September 11th through the 20th, we're in Colorado. You get the picture. We hit, then we hit big cities. So it's kind of like a, a one, one or two week by two week um, tour um, from the kind of most rabid running cities to the more urban running cities. And we'll be traveling around, um, you know, hitting theaters uh, throughout the whole fall. So look us up, you know, follow us on Instagram at 3100film. If you're going to make it to the film, shoot me a DM and I'd love to come and say hi. Um, And yeah, it's like, thank goodness for resources like Rambling Runner. I mean, it's like for those of us who are like lay people runners who constantly need to understand like the limitations that other people are, 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 are breaking through. This is such an exceptionally inspiring podcast. Well, thank you for saying that. I felt the exact same way about this film. I really liked it. I'm going to go see a screening. I can't wait for it to come into the Northeast. Uh, thank you so much, Sanjay, for coming on. I really appreciate it. And good luck with all the screenings coming later this summer. Thank you so very, very much, Matt. All Bye. right. Talk to you later. Sanjay, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was absolutely delightful. I really had such a good time talking about the film and diving deep into a whole bunch of different topics. So thank you so much for coming on the show. And thank you, listeners, for listening all the way to the end. And I hope you like uh, what you heard today. And I hope you go out, check out the website, 3100film.com. That's the numbers, 3100film.com. You can also go onto Instagram. 3100 film is their hashtag 3100 film. It is absolutely worth it. You're going to want to watch it more than once. There's no question in my mind. I try not to give out too many spoilers during the episode today um, so that when you do watch it, you're going to be able to enjoy it for all it's worth. So again, thank you so much for listening to the show. Have a great day and happy running.